there's times where literally in 24 hours, I can change your life. I mean, I help people like this. It's unbelievable. When you're a normal clinical psychologist, it can take weeks, months, even years before you start to see any treatment gains. But in sleep, there's times where literally in 24 hours, I can change your life. I mean, you change your sleep, you change your life. In 1837, Horace Mann created the education system, a system at the time designed to pump out factory workers and professors. The same system that is still being used today in the 21st century. Now, Mann's system is backfiring. We are being molded by the same industrial system that has existed for close to 200 years. That system delivers us into a digital economy that has no need of our outdated skills. This isn't our teacher's fault. This isn't the government's fault. This is due to a rapidly changing world full of technology and unforeseen circumstances. And us Gen Zs are caught in the middle. Welcome to the Driven Young Podcast, the podcast for stressed, overwhelmed young Australians, teaching you practical life skills you can implement now to set yourself up in life. And now your host, Byron Dempsey. Welcome back to the Driven Young Podcast. My name is Byron Dempsey, and it has been a very long time since doing this podcast, about six months, I believe. So welcome back. I'm very excited that you're here. I do apologize for being gone for so long. Uh, If you want to find out more about why I was gone, I just released a solo episode. It's about 20 minutes long. Go check that out. It explains why, how, and what my plan is for the future. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Bruce. He is the first of a series of 10 LA American episodes, so I do apologize. There's a bunch of American accents coming your way. However, this does mean I get access to some pretty cool people by going into LA. Of course, LA is full of a lot of really big name people. So some of these people, billionaires. I interviewed a Navy SEAL. Of course, today we are joined by Dr. Michael Bruce, aka The Sleep Doctor. Sleep is very, very important. In fact, in one of the early episodes, a personal trainer mentioned, if you do not have your sleep right, there's no point in exercising. He doesn't even bother. And so in this episode, Michael carved his own pathway into medicine without going into medical school. And he's been a private practitioner in psychology and sleep medicine for the last 25 years years. Dr. Bruce is also a best-selling author of The Power of When, The Doctor's Diet Plan, Good Night, and Energize. In this episode, we talk about secret hacks, two and four sleep, debunking common sleep myths you may have heard, finding out that your sleep routine is genetics. Not only is it genetics, but often it's based on your age as well. And we all fit within four different types of chronotypes, the wolf, the lion, the bear, and another one. I'm not going to spoil it at all. And maybe I just forgot. However, there are four chronotypes and we all fall within one of these and it can change throughout our life. And finding out your chronotype will greatly impact how you sleep, and where you get your energy from. And of course, the pathophysiology of caffeine and how it affects you. How does coffee affect our sleep? How does coffee affect our mental well-being? So get comfortable, listen in. This is a great episode. It's an absolute banger. You're going to love it. Dr. Michael Bruce talks on podcasts and interviews like three, four, five, six, seven, eight times a week. So he is incredibly succinct and how he speaks, which means I feel like he was able to cram like three hours into this one hour podcast. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Stay young, stay driven. Now, over to Dr. Michael Bruce. Uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor. That's how me. I'm happy to be here, man. This is going to be fun. I'm very excited. This is my first interview in LA. So I'm here for two weeks. We've got like, I was just saying, you know, we have a mutual friend who introduced us, James yes, Whitaker, who's absolutely. going to be coming on the podcast very shortly. Um, but you know, I'm always, I'm always excited to do episodes like this because I find I have kind of two episodes. I have 
episodes that are just good value to young people and use mm-hmm. like mindset or all these different things. Then I have episodes that are like history or sleep. Or, and I find <laughs> that's when we get the detail and can get really right. deep. Um, now, obviously, keeping in mind, you know, we have a much younger audience. So probably maybe a bit of a different audience to what you're, you're used to. I'm not too sure. Good news is everybody sleeps. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I can pretty much talk about any type of demographic in terms of sleep. And some of the things are actually quite similar. Yeah. Um, and some of the things, if, they, if I knew some of the things that I know now when I was between like 15 and 25, Oh, dude, I'd have yeah. crushed it much earlier. Right. And this is this is the advantage I want to give these people. It's kind of like a cheat code. Yeah, it is. So I've watched your, I've watched your TED Talks. You've got some pretty interesting stuff. Um, you've written a bunch of books as well, which is amazing. Um, and so before we get into it, I always ask one, ask one question. And that's very, very simple. That is, what did you do after high school? What did I do after high school? And what was like school? the thought process for you? What was going on in your head there? So right after high school, I was pretty confused. Uh, I'll tell you that. I, I went into college. Um, and when I went into college, I decided to study psychology. Um, to be honest with you, it was where all the cute girls were. So if there were cute girls in the class, that's where I was headed. Um, nice. And then I actually started to really enjoy clinical psychology quite a bit. Made it through undergraduate college and decided I was going to go to graduate school to get a PhD in clinical psychology. And what ended up happening once I did that was um, I was thinking I was going to be a sports psychologist. So I wanted to be the guy. I was not very good at sports in high school, by the way. Like I was kind of the nerdy guy um, who just kind of hung out. Thank you. And um, didn't really get to do a whole lot of sports. Uh, You know, I wasn't particularly popular. I was kind of like, you know, the guy in the corner. And um, I figured if I became a sports psychologist, I'd get to hang out with all the Mm. athletes, all the cool folks, and teach people how to, you know, throw more accurately or run faster, do all those kind of cool things. Unfortunately, the best sports psychology internship. So when you're getting a PhD in clinical psychology, you do a residency or an internship the same way an MD doctor does. Um, The best one in the country was at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, I'm originally from Sandy Springs, Georgia, so it didn't really bother me to be in the South. I was kind of looking forward to it. But to be honest with you, I couldn't get in. Mm. Like Only the Harvards and the Princetons and the Yales of the world were going there. But they had a sleep track. So they they had a grant they were giving people fully funded internships if you were willing to study sleep for right. six months of your internship. And so I was like, aha, loophole. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, they don't know. I'm not, I, they think I'm not going to be in their program, but I'm going to be in. So I sold myself as a sleep guy and I figured as soon as I get there, I'll just transfer and go right over, right? No problem. So I get there and I raise my hand and they say, uh, Dr. Bruce, what can we do for you? And I said, hey man, I don't want to, I want to transfer over into the sports psychology program. They said, We had a feeling that you you were going to try to do that. They said, here's the deal. It's funded. So the only way you're going to be able to stay is if you do this for six months. And I said, six months, how tough can it be? I mean, it's sleep, right? Like I do it every night. (laughs) And um, by the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical medicine, clinical sleep medicine. Dude, I help people like this. It's unbelievable. Believable. When you're a normal clinical psychologist, it can take weeks, months, even years before you start to see any treatment gains. But in sleep, there's times where literally in 24 hours, I can change your life. Yeah. I mean, you change your sleep, you change your life. And you found that to be quite addictive to see the change in people and have completely come back. Like, addictive. Oh That's exactly the right word yeah. for it. Because you're you're with these people and they they show up and they've got anxiety, they've got depression, they've got confusion, they're they're kind of lost. And then and a lot of it is because 
They're sleep deprived. Like, mm. let's be fair. When you're sleep deprived, what kind of good decisions do you make? Yeah. None. So the goal here was to see if I could help people gain some level of clarity by giving them a biological function like sleep to do really, really well. I felt like I opened doors for people. I mean, again, you change your sleep, you change your life. Yeah. And I mean, you've kind of come in at a beautiful time, haven't you? Because I feel like sleep has become so popular I know, right? over the last kind of, I guess maybe five Hopefully years Hopefully I've had so. something to do with that. Yeah, right? I imagine you would have. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of going back because a big theme of this podcast is figuring out what to do with your life. You know, yeah. at 18 years old, we have this expectation. You got to go, go Dude, college, university. Dude, I had no idea I was going to be a sleep doctor. And that's it. This is what I hear from everyone. No. Uh, so I like how you just kind of like followed a path. Okay, you're interested in the sport. Let's just follow that pathway. And then as a byproduct, you fell in love with something completely unpredictable. Yeah, it, it was bizarre. I mean, to be clear, the path was girls. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I took the psychology classes because they were cute girls. I went into clinical psychology. They were cute girls. And then I was figuring out to be in the sports world. And again, it was just kind of this interesting path. And also, to be fair, it was academically kind of interesting, like learning how people tick and kind yeah. of understanding the psychology behind why you do the things that you do. People always ask me all the time, well, did you become a sleep doctor because you had a sleep problem? No. Yeah. Um, did anybody in your family have a sleep problem? No. Do I currently have a sleep problem? No. Um, but the dramatic change in somebody is, it's kind of inspirational. Absolutely. And I was mentioning I run a, a program for young people. Right, right, so right. In, in two days, you know, we always love, because a lot of kids in the room don't want to be there because their parents made them go along. Right. So you imagine, hey, you have to go learn about bettering yourself for two full days, right. nine o'clock to nine o'clock at night. Oh, Big days, right? Yeah. And, you know, it always sucks having people who don't want to be there, but they're the ones who get the most change. And Absolutely. at the end of it, when they come up to you, it's like, that is addicting. That, that feeling of being able to help people so quickly. It's so much fun. And see a visual change. Yeah. I also find it addicting in a different way to you. Sure. Um, but it is, and it's, it feels good because you're giving back to people. Well, and if you give them a skill set, it, it's one thing to, like, uh, what's the old saying? If you, if you give a man a fish, he eats yeah, for yeah. a day. You teach a man a fish, he eats for a lifetime. I think that's kind of the same as what we're talking yes. about here, is you're giving people skill sets that if they learn them young and you can really carry them through, Dude, you can do anything. It's unbelievable. And that is the key point. Like a big reason I started what I do is because I was in this business and I went to all these events and I was right. the youngest in the room by a decade. And right. they would always come up to me and be like, Byron, God, I wish I knew this when I was 18 or 19. <laughs> and it sounds like you said the same. Like you were saying Constantly. on camera or off camera, I can't remember. You were just saying, but if you can get these skills at 21, 22, yes. what a superpower that is. Oh, it's, it's really interesting. And a lot of things, here's the problem, is people kind of think, oh, if I don't sleep a lot, like I'm a stud, it's cool, blah, blah, blah. It, this whole generation has figured out that that's total horseshit, mm. right? They figured out like, holy cow, I need to sleep. I, I've, what I've discovered in kind of the 15 to 25 year old span of people nowadays, they're starting to value sleep. They're starting to say, hey, I, I don't want to overwork myself. I don't, I don't want to do 80-hour mm. work weeks. I want to learn about how to take care of my body so that way I can actually enjoy whatever the career path is that I choose. Yeah, and that very much is, this generation I feel like is much more hyper aware of being taken advantage of in the workplace sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's funny because when I was growing up, there was no such thing as work-life balance. Yeah. Right. It was called work life integration. Yeah, same <laughs> you know? thing. Like there was none of that stuff in there. And now I have a twenty uh next week, twenty one year old son and a nineteen year old daughter, and they're kind of walking into this and they have a very different perspective. Mm, it is it's so different. And I think it's great. Yeah. Um and so let, let, let's jump into some of the stuff sure. about sleep. I guess we'll start off with why. You know, 
you mentioned that you know better sleep, better life sort of thing. Why is that? What is the what is the the negatives of having poor quality sleep? So that's actually the right way to ask it because people always say, well, what does sleep do for you? Well, here's the thing: we have better science on what lack of sleep yes. does to you yeah. rather than what does sleep do for you. So what I try to tell people is sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. Literally everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. So what do I mean by that? First of all, let's kind of define what is sleep deprivation first. Like what is bad sleep? Because some people think of sleep only in minutes. Mm. I'm going to tell you that you should also think about it in terms of quality. So a lot of people say, oh, did you get your eight hours of sleep? Me personally, I never get eight hours of sleep, ever. It's just not what I do. Mm. I'm a six and a half hour sleeper. Right. I'm the freaking sleep doctor, yeah, yeah, right? right? So like, how does something like that work? The quality of my sleep is so high, it allows me to be able to do all the things that I want to do. Like, this is my first cup of coffee today. Right. It's three o'clock for anyone listening. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so like, you're kind of thinking through that as an idea, and it's just because I'm cold. Yeah, <laughs> it actually yeah. isn't because I wanted the caffeine. But when you think about sleep, it really affects three main areas. So it affects you physically, it affects you cognitively, and it affects you emotionally. So right. let, let me kind of break that down for you. So physically, we're talking about things like reaction time, right? So if you're driving a vehicle, if you're, you know, um, you have a job where you're doing manual labor, something like that. For guys out there physically, if you are sleep deprived, and we'll define what that is in just a second, your level of testosterone drops by almost 30%. Wow. 30%. So if you're, let's say you're a basketball player um, in, in uh, one of the national leagues, right? And you're 22 years old. If you're sleep deprived, you're playing like a 33 year old, right? Bro, you're going to get crushed, mm. right? That's just the physical cognitively memory. Your memory goes out the window when you're sleep deprived. You can't process things and you're a very poor decision maker when mm. you're sleep deprived. I mean, think about it when you're tired, just like shit, make it happen. You know, like yeah. whatever I need to do. And then emotionally, Let's be fair. Who wants to get into an emotional discussion with a sleep-deprived no person, right? I think, you, did you say you shouldn't have an argument after 11 o'clock or tough conversations? After absolutely. 11? You yeah. should never have an argument after 11. You should try not to have any arguments, period. But yeah, look, yeah. if you want to discuss <laughs> things, I get it. But being thoughtful after 11, especially if that's not kind of one of your prime times, and we'll talk about these things called chronotypes and how some people are prime at night and some yep. people are prime in the morning, it can be a disaster. So those three areas, and let's be fair, your audience probably already knows that, right? Yep. They know what happens if they pull an all-nighter. You know, what's going to happen? Uh, they might do okay on the test, but they're going to be crushed the next day. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like, would you say it's better to do an all-nighter and cram information or better to go to bed early um, get a good night's rest, and maybe wake up a little bit earlier and then do some information. Because so for me, like, there's no way I do an all-nighter. Yeah, I'll so it all depends. So number one, an all-nighter is never a good idea. Yeah. Like there's plenty of data behind it. But there are a couple of different steps in between an all-nighter and getting a full night's sleep. So what most right. people don't know is sleep runs in between 80 and 120 minute segments, on average about 90 minute blocks, right? So here's what I tell people all the time. Look, if you really screwed up, and you didn't study the right material, or you've got a ton of information that you've got to get to, do yourself a favor and get at least three hours or four and a half hours. Get two of those 90-minute blocks yeah. or three of those 90-minute blocks. Because here's the thing. During REM sleep, that's when you move information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory right. so that you can regurgitate it on the test. So the problem is, is that a lot of kids, will they'll stay up all night, stay up all night, they'll be jamming caffeine all night, they'll get through half the test, and they can't remember the rest of the material because it hasn't logged into their memory yet. 
that's one of the things that sleep really does. But to be fair, I'd love it if people could get at least six hours of sleep a night. So that's four of these 90-minute chunks. Usually you should be spot on by then. Yeah, and that's assuming you get good quality sleep. And that's the great question to, be, yeah. to ask, right? Is how do we know, do we have good quality sleep or bad quality sleep? Now, a lot of people will turn to me and they'll say, well, if I, if I dreamt last night, then I must be getting good quality sleep. Really? Turns out that that's not 100% true, right? You actually dream in any stage of sleep um, and, and dreaming, actually, REM sleep, which is kind of where you do most of your dreaming, gets bigger and bigger as you go throughout the night. So when you're thinking about quality sleep, here's the best metric out there. When you wake up within three or four minutes of waking up, if you feel pretty bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you got good sleep. Really? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as of right now and, and kind of in today's vernacular, we see trackers, right? So I have a ring tracker that tracks my activity, mm. tracks my sleep. Some people have them on their wrist. Some people can have bands across their chest. So there's a lot of different ways that you can actually track the quality of your sleep. But to be fair, like I know what that data means because I'm a freaking sleep doctor, yeah. right? <laughs> Most people really don't. And so what you're looking for is what's called stage three, four or delta sleep and REM sleep. And if, and if both of those combined can make up about 50% of the night, you're in business. And so is that deep sleep? Is that like, or is that Deep else? sleep is stage three, four, and REM sleep is very different. REM sleep is where we have that memory committal and dream. Deep sleep is where you get the physical restoration. Right. So what I tell people is early part of the night, you get that physical restoration. And if you think about it, whoever, you know, created us, uh, whoever that happens to be, yeah. they did it in a pretty smart way. And so what happens is the first third of the night is where you get the most deep sleep, which is, again, is that physical restoration. So, you know, if a saber-toothed tiger wanders into your cave or, you know, a fire alarm goes off, your body can be up and ready to roll, physically speaking. Mm. But if you can get through the whole evening, that's where the mental part comes in. Right. Okay. Interesting. And I mean, you mentioned you wanted to clarify what sleep fatigue was. And I'd be curious, do you have people who like don't even realize they've been fatigued for maybe years at a time? All the time. Right. All the time. Because it just becomes a norm. Well, because they think, well, I, I, I guess this is how I'm supposed to be. You know, yeah. I'm married, I've got three kids, or I've got a new job and it's keeping me up and all these other you know, pieces of nonsense. When at the end of the day, if, you've been, if you go on vacation for five to seven days and you get what you consider to be a decent amount of sleep during that period of time and you wake up without an alarm clock feeling pretty good you got good quality sleep. And that's right. the amount of sleep that you need. What's interesting is sometimes the timing can change. So we're talking um, about adults, we're talking about you know kids, we're talking about you know, even younger. Each one of those demographic ages has a different timing that there is associated with their genes. Mm. So some people say, are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? Turns out a lot of it has to do with how old you are. Right, because yeah, I think you mentioned like obviously kids and morning people, right? That's why they're up at five or six a.m. Exactly. So I created a system called uh, Chronotypes, and to learn what your chronotype is, you can go to chronoquiz.com, and people can we'll have it in the show notes and all that kind of yeah, stuff of afterwards. But if you take the quiz, depending upon what your age is, I can kind of almost cheat and know what your chronotype is. So most kids, and when I say kids, we're talking about fifteen to about. 22, 23 are what we call a wolf or a nighttime chronotype. Now, you might not have heard this word chronotype, but if anybody's ever called you an early bird or a night owl, that's what I'm talking yeah. about, right? And think about it. When I was, you know, 18 years old, what did I want to do? I wanted to stay up until 2 a.m. and sleep until noon yeah. the next day, right? That was awesome. Like, that yeah. was the best thing for me to do. Turns out that's genetic. And so there's a lot of parents out there who are like, oh, you're a lazy bum. Get out of bed. Actually, 
you're genetically <laughs> that I've way. A, an excuse. Exactly. Well, I, I've taught a lot of kids how to teach their parents, like, hey, mom, hey, dad, let me sleep in on the weekends. Um, only for certain periods of time and only for certain age groups, that turns out to not be such a bad idea. Yeah, right. And so you're saying not all the time, but majority of people from 15 and 22 are wolves. Exactly. Which is your first chronotype. Yes, and that's the early bird? No, that's the night owl. The night owl, right. Sorry, of course. Right? Because they're up late. Because yeah. they, they're up late. So here's what's interesting is you physically go through all four chronotypes throughout your lifetime. So early birds, who I call lions, they're babies, right? They go to bed early. They wake up early. Now, eventually, you might become a lion as well. As a middle schooler, then you're what I call a bear. You kind of go to bed around 7.30, you want to wake up around 7.30. Next is the wolf. That's kind of actually my chronotype. I actually right. got stuck in that chronotype. Um, but what's interesting there is we're the ones who want to stay up late and sleep late. And then there's a fourth chronotype called a dolphin. Now, dolphins are very, very different. And that's actually my contribution to the literature was I actually found out that there is a genetic predetermined sleep schedule for this kind of chronotype right. called a dolphin. And it's erratic. It's all over the place. And there's a lot of people out there with insomnia who have this dolphin chronotype. And so if you go to Chrono Quiz, you can figure it all out. But you could actually look on your DNA. So if you did 23andMe or Ancestry.com, they, they have a report that will tell you exactly where. It turns out it's, there's 76 different places on the human genome. But the main place is in the PER3 gene. And if there's a flipping of what's called a SNP, which is a single nucleotide polymorphism, or DNA is made up of four blocks. And if, if they're, in, they're supposed to be in a particular order, but if somehow they get switched, you're an early bird. Or right. somehow they get switched, you're a night owl. Right when you get to about 2022, you lock into a chronotype for about 30 years until you're about 50, 55, which is actually what I just turned last week. And now you, your chronotype changes again. So you ever notice how your grandparents, when you go over for dinner, they're yep. like, let's have dinner at five o'clock. And you're like, grandma, what are you talking about? It's because her chronotype is starting to creep backwards and she's getting earlier. This all has to do with when your body produces melatonin. So if you go deep into the science of it, it all has to do with your melatonin curve. Wow. Okay. A lot to take in there. I know. I, I threw like, a lot at you. I mean, the, the key thing to me, which is interesting is, I mean, you're saying it's nature, not nurture in this example. Absolutely. Now, nurture can be an influence. Right? Of course. Caffeine, yeah. right? It's a big one, right? If you're an early bird, caffeine will keep you up late if you want it to. But as a general guideline, you have a predetermined genetic sleep schedule. If you honor that, you're almost guaranteed to get the highest quality sleep available. So, and obviously you've got a bit of a bias, but from your perspective, to figure out what your sleep type in, that's obviously something very important to do. And the earlier, the better. Yeah, but I would argue I don't have a bias because it's biology. Right. Right? Like, I could, we could literally map your genome, and I could tell you exactly what you are. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with me or, or anything like that. It has to do with you. Science. I love it. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to go into the chronotypes too much because you've yeah. put so much content out there. Let's I know. Go. I mean, crazy, if bro. anyone's interested, go take the quiz, which will be in the show notes, and go yep. watch your TED Talk, where you, you summarize it in, like, 10 minutes. Yes. But you mentioned the bear, the bear, sorry. Yes. My accent coming through. It's all good. The bear. And by the way, you named them basically because the animals, that's their sleep schedule, right? Yeah. So the animals actually follow the same sleep schedule. Kind of a funny story. When I was writing the book, you're in your publisher's office and I had created these four avatars, but we had never quite figured out what we were going to call them. Somebody wanted to call them colors. Somebody wanted to call them crystals. Um, it turns out nobody wants to be a platypus, yeah. right? you know, <laughs> hey, right? Nobody on. wants to be a porcupine. So I had to find inspirational animals that actually fit the chronotypes. Yeah. So lions are animals that wake up early and have their first kill before dawn. Right. So that makes sense. And who wouldn't want to be a lion, you know, king or queen of the of jungle, right? Bears, which is the one you just mentioned, 
they hibernate. They're kind of solar sleepers. So they like to get up around the sun comes up, like to go to sleep and the sun goes down. Wolves, which is me, are the night owls. Everybody knows wolves hunt in packs late at night. Mm. Dolphins were kind of an interesting one. People are like, what is, what, what's the sleep schedule of a dolphin? It turns out that dolphins sleep unihemispherically. So half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake looking for predators. Wow. And I thought that kind of feels like an insomnia because they're never quite asleep. Mm, wow, interesting. And so you've got these four chronotypes and people should go figure it out. But yeah. let's say they've figured out what they are. Sure. I think I'm a bear. Okay. I mean, I wake up quite early. I wake up around six. Okay. Um, you might be leaning towards an early bear or, or a late lion, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't know if that's because I simply... It's is this when you're in Australia or is this when you're here? Oh, here I'm out of whack. I'm, I bet. I'm we can talk about jet lag in a minute. Yeah, jet lag's big. Like it's Australian huge. jet lag is savage because it's, it's 20 hours and like all my oh, friends- Dude, are, I, can, I can help you on the way home. Don't worry. Oh, amazing. And so, yeah, jet lag's interesting, but I wake up because, you know, I like to have that routine. And so mm -hmm. for me, there's so many benefits to waking up early. I yes. definitely get tired at night. And when mm. I'm in Australia, I almost never use my alarm. I have it there, Perfect. but I wake up at like 10 minutes before it. That is the key. So, so the thing you just mentioned, waking up within five to 10 minutes of your alarm naturally, that means you're in the right spot for okay, your good. chronotype. That's great. That's, so you're going to get the highest quality sleep. Me, if I can digress for just a second, I want to tell you about an experiment that I ran Please, that yeah. helped us figure this out. Because everybody wants to know, one of the big things that I get a lot of athletes, I get a lot of celebrities, a lot of people out there who say, how do I get eight in six? Right. I know I need eight, but I only have time for six. How do yep. I do that, Michael? This is exactly how you do it. If you follow your chronotype, your sleep schedule begins to compress. It's really interesting. So I did the experiment on myself because I'm like, if I'm going to talk about it with people, I better yeah, yeah. fucking do it myself. Right. So I go to bed at midnight and, start, and said, I'm going to just let myself sleep. And at the, at the beginning, I was waking up at like 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then I just kept consistency was really the key factor here. And then all of a sudden, I started waking up at 7.30 then 7.15, then 6.45, then 6.15. My body will not let me sleep past about six o'clock. Same with me. I go to bed at midnight, click, I'm up. Same with and me, And I get yeah. super high quality sleep because I track it and I'm getting all the right percentages, but it's all condensed. And so one of the key things that I do with, again, athletes, celebrities, you know, whoever, musicians, is if we can get you to the highest quality sleep for you, everything gets easy. Right. And I mean, I'm the same and my best mate were the same as well. It's like, I could come home from a night out drunk at 2 a.m. Right. I'm still going to wake up between 6 and 7. It's brutal, isn't it, bro? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Because I'm like, no, just let me sleep in. I know. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's not going to happen. And even like, I find it almost when I try to sleep in, I feel worse. Oh, so, so you ever taken a nap and felt worse oh, after the nap? Like you've been punched. Right. That's the same thing. It's like you're taking a nap in the morning because your body just woke up at, at, let's say, use you and his example at 6 and you're like, bro, I'm going to hit the snooze button or I'm yeah. just going to lie back here for about, you know, another 30, 40 minutes. It, what happens is you get into a middle stage of sleep yeah. and then you try to wake your ass up and it's called sleep inertia. It's awful. Yeah. And you know what's funny? I, I feel like I've got a bit of a claim to fame to this. I've <laughs> never, ever hit the snooze button in my life. Dude, that's awesome. Do you know why though? That sounds a bit wanky, but like I didn't know it existed until I was like 20. <laughs> I saw it in movies and stuff, but like on the iPhone, I didn't realize it was there. Right, right, right. I didn't realize it was a thing people did. I just, I figured, for, so for me, it was like, I either turn off my alarm or I like won't get up. So one of the ways you can tell if you're sleep deprived is how many times do you hit the snooze, mm. right? If you hit the snooze more than once, there's no question in my mind, you're probably sleep deprived. Right. Another one is if you fall asleep within three minutes of turning the lights out, 
you're also probably sleep deprived. Yeah. Like people tell me, oh, Michael, I fall asleep in five minutes flat. I'm like, bro, that's not a good yeah. sign, right? Because sleep's not an on-off switch. It's more like kind of pulling your foot off the gas and putting your foot on the brake. There's a process that should occur. It should take you a good 15 to 25 minutes to fall asleep. Well, that's good to know because I feel like, yeah, I often will lie there. I find the best way I fall asleep is reading a book. Mm-hmm. Because as I read, I slowly start to drift off. And then I, then I start, it starts getting blurry. And I go, all right, bang, I fall straight to sleep. So there's a couple of things to take, take warning of. So number one, reading is the best way to fall, one of the best ways yeah. to fall asleep. Because again, I tell people all the time, kind of, I use the analogy, you need runway to land the mm. plane, mm. right? You don't want to just, you know, wait till your head is falling, you know, and then you get in bed and nothing happens, right? You want to be in bed and super chill and being able to start to relax. Now for you, it's reading. And what that allows you to is to not focus on all the other stuff that's been going on all day. Because here's the problem, and people don't really realize this, but as soon as you get in bed and you turn off the light and there's nobody, you know, calling you, emailing you, texting you, talking to you, all of the thoughts from the day start flooding in. And that's when anxiety starts to come up. Oh shit, did I do this? Oh crap, I've got this due the next day, Mm. that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're reading, you're focused on something else, your eyes start to get a little bit tired, you can turn it over, you know, because you don't have to worry about your spot, you know, Watching TV to fall asleep, although lots and lots of people do it, it can be addictive. And people mm. go binge watching and show after show after show. So I usually have people set an alarm to have them stop watching TV. Yeah. And if, you, if you're not a reader and TV is your thing, then here's what I would say to do. Watch your show, but then when you get in bed after you've you know, done your hygiene, do a gratitude list. Mm. Just in your head. Like, what are the things that you're grateful for? Some days it might be a lot. Some days it might not be much. But believe it or not, there's data to show that optimism before sleep not only helps you fall asleep more faster, but gives you more positive dreams. Wow. Dude, what could be better? Yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of the gratitude list. I think the other benefit of doing, like, even a little one, we have, we have one, we have three questions. It's like, who, who am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? And it could be tiny. It could be, I'm grateful that that person let me cut in or something. Absolutely. And I'm the grateful reason I, I got dinner. Yeah, yeah. The reason I like it is not necessarily when you write the list, but because you have to write a list at the end of your day, it means you're looking for things to be grateful for throughout the day. I love so suddenly it. you're just way happier because you're like, oh, I, I can add that in my list. Oh, that's going on my list. And suddenly you're way more aware of all the good stuff that's happening in your life. And, and you're just I, more happy. I would argue that if you're well slept, it's easier to find things to be grateful for. 100%. Right? Because if you're sleep deprived, everything sucks. Yeah. And so what is sleep <laughs> deprivation? If you were to like... If I was going to give you the su- summarized definition, it's when you wake up and you don't feel well rested you're sleep deprived, and guaranteed. Is there, because like sometimes, you know, you wake up and you're not, it's always a bit of a grind to wake up sometimes. Yeah. Depending well, on again, if you're consistent, yeah. right, and your body is consistent, like you already said, like my body's going to wake up whether I want to or not. If you can keep, like if people get one thing, piece of advice from this podcast, wake up at the same time every day. Within 21 yeah. days, your body will adjust to that time. It'll lock and load and then you're good to go. And is that... So let's say someone identifies their chronotype and they yep. go, all right, great, Michael, I've got, I've got my t- chronotype. What do I do now? Do I have to, but I work a nine to five job. Yep. Um, I can't go to bed at 12 and wake up at what time? How do I do it? Do you recommend they experiment with their body and they I just do. start testing things? I do. Um, and number one, we've actually figured that out. So if you have a nine to five job, you can have any chronotype and it'll work. Right. Um, also, the nice thing is, is nowadays you don't necessarily have to go to work. Yes. Um, so there's a lot more working from home or different work environments. Also, to be fair, I've educated so many bosses, right? So if your employer is one that's like, you need to be here at 6am, 
you know, and you're, you know, 22 years old, you might want to have him listen to this podcast, (laughs) right? And be like, hey, my biology is pushing me differently. If you want to get the best work product out of me, it'd be better off if I got to work at, let's say, 9, 9.30. Yeah, and I think if you're pitching it that way, and you're saying, look, I'm going to be more productive. I'm still going to work yeah. the same amount of hours. Yes. I'll just start later and work later or whatever it is. Exactly. I've got employees. And if they pitch that to me, I'd be like, yeah, great. Yeah. And it makes intuitive sense. Once you start understanding that sleep equals either education or productivity, what, you know, content in, content out, yeah. right? And so if you're well slept, you can not only absorb content better, but you can produce content better. I love it. That's what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, this has been great. Uh, Maybe we'll switch to some questions because I feel like I got so many questions. Um, <laughs> a lot of people sent them in. A lot of them we've probably already covered, so I'll kind of choose them on the fly. Sure. Um, one that was quite common, and I'm sure you've probably heard all these questions before, mm. is sleeping and having someone sleep with you worsens my sleep. Is that normal? So it depends if you're male or female. This was a male. Okay, so most men sleep better with somebody in the bed with them. Interestingly enough, however, it depends on who that person is and it depends upon how well they sleep. So Mm. if you're sleeping next to a snoring bed partner, bro, that sucks, right? Guy or gal, right? That, That can definitely be an issue. Some people aren't used to having somebody in the bed with them. And so, for example, if you haven't had a long-term relationship where somebody's sleeping in the bed with you for, you know, days, months, weeks, yeah. months, then it's definitely something to get used to. Also, temperature turns out to be the biggest factor. Yeah. Some people are warm sleepers. Some people are cold sleepers. And, you know, when somebody grabs the covers in the middle of the night and you're like, shit, this sucks, you know, I'm freezing. The other big thing is the mattress, right? So some people like a firm bed, some people like a soft bed. So there's a lot of compromise that has a tendency to go on. But as a general guideline, men have a tendency to sleep better with somebody in the bed and women have a tendency to sleep better without somebody in the bed. Now, you haven't asked me about animals, which is a whole nother factor. I wasn't going to, but (laughs) I'm interested now. (laughs) Well, so I don't know if this is the same in Australia, but here in the States, lots of people have their animals sleep with them in the bed. Yeah, my... When I was living it with my parents, my dog would often sleep, depending on who we wanted to choose. Right, exactly. He might sleep next to you or at the foot of your bed or whatever. Right, and so that whole pack mentality can sometimes be incredibly, incredibly nice. So as an example, my wife, we have two, we have two dogs, and they both sleep in the bed with us. Mm. Me, my wife, the two dogs. I mean, it's like Lion Country Safari in there. It's ridiculous, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So I've gotten used to that, but one of the dogs snores. And he's, as he's gotten older, the snoring is getting louder. So it can be disruptive at times as well. Yeah, right. No, my dog was, was lucky. He was just didn't make any noise Perfect. and he moved out of the way for you. But it did take a little bit to get used to. Yeah, for sure. Having someone else in the bed. Um, so that was definitely a popular question. Another one, which I'm sure you get a lot of, is like napping. What are your uh-huh. thoughts on a 2 p.m. nap or like, is that something we should be doing? I got a whole thing on napping. Let's I'll, I'll just lay it out there. So first of all, many people don't know, but there are different types of naps right. out there. Okay. And here's the key. You either want a short one or a long one. You don't want one in between. So you either want one. That's, that's the one where you feel like you've been punched in the face. When exactly. You wake up. Yeah. So you either want a 25 minute or less nap or a 90 minute or longer nap. 90 minutes, remember, is that length of the sleep cycle. So if you can go through a full 90 minutes, you can really make up for some lost sleep, if you will. Um, But the 25-minute nap is the one that I tell people about most. Now, you actually mentioned, do you nap at 2 p.m.? You picked the actual perfect time of day to nap. That's just when I start to go down. So let me tell you why. turns out it's in your biology. So um, as we're uh, falling asleep, and this is in the evening time, our core body temperature rises, rises, rises. It hits a point right around 10, 30, or 11, then begins to drop. 
That drop in core body temperature is a signal to your brain to release melatonin. Right. It turns out there's a second drop somewhere between one and three in the afternoon, usually two o'clock. And so it's called a bimodal distribution of your body temperature. And so when your body temperature goes up a little bit in, at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to get sleepy. And so taking a 25 minute nap, there's not necessarily the worst idea. Now, if it's two o'clock and your boss is looking at you like, Hey, but mm. I don't think you should be napping. Here's an easy thing to do. Don't grab a coffee, right? Which go outside and get a little sunlight yeah. because melatonin is, we call it the vampire hormone. It only comes out in darkness. And so if it's not dark, if you've got direct sunlight, mm. then you can thwart that and kind of push on. Now there's another kind of nap. That's my favorite kind of nap that people out there are going to really love. I call it the Napa latte. Napa latte. Yes. So this is how it works. So I'm going to back up for a second and explain to you the two systems of sleep and why this makes sense. So it turns out we have two systems of sleep. One is called your sleep drive. The other is called your sleep rhythm. Sleep, when a cell eats a piece of glucose, something comes out the back end. One of those things is called adenosine. Adenosine works its way through your system and it accumulates in a very specific area of your brain. The more adenosine, the sleepier and sleepier you get, right? Here's what's weird. If you look at the molecular structure of adenosine and the molecular structure of caffeine, they're off by one molecule. Right. Isn't that bizarre? Like the, the substance that's external to you that makes you awake and the substance that's internal makes you sleep. Make you sleep. Like one freaking molecule. Here's where it gets interesting. If you take a cup of coffee or a caffeine tablet and then you close your eyes and you sleep, you burn through that adenosine. The caffeine is waiting in the wings. It fits perfectly into that receptor site. You're good for four hours, guaranteed. Napa espresso. Wait, was it? Napa latte. Napa latte. <laughs> it works like so a charm. But don't do one every day. To be clear, I don't want people napa latteing every day, yeah. but it's a great thing to use like right before an exam or if you're going to do a performance or if you've got something with sports or something like that, it works like a charm. So could we just repeat that again? So you're saying take have the coffee mm -hmm. and then close and your here's eyes. Here's the thing. You want about 100 milligrams. So you want a small cup of coffee, like a six ounce cup of coffee. So here's the, here's the whole thing. Get a six ounce cup of coffee, put three ice cubes in it because you, you're going to slug it as quickly as you can. Mm. Close your eyes. Make sure you're in a safe place. Put on an eye mask. Close your eyes for 25 minutes. Even if you don't sleep, it's still going to be valuable because you're kind of taking all the stress out. And when you pull off your eye mask and you wake up, you are good to go. I'm going to try that because it's always interesting because I actually sometimes, when I first have a coffee, get a little bit tired. And everyone else is like, I don't feel the effects of coffee, I feel like. Which argues, why do I have it? I don't know. It's just becoming Now, a bit remember of a habit. something. There's different levels of caffeine sensitivity. So my physician, she used to tell me, she'd say, Michael, I have an espresso every night before I go to bed. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, caffeine doesn't affect me. And I'm like, there's nobody that that's true for. And she yeah. said, it really is for me. We actually had her tested and she's right. She doesn't produce the enzyme that actually digests and metabolizes caffeine. So wow. it shoots right through her. So believe it or not, there are different levels of caffeine sensitivity. I mean, I got some people who can drink a cup of coffee and fall right to sleep. I got other people, if they eat a chocolate kiss, they're up all night long. Mm. And this is what... I kind of spoke about before with like the schooling system. This is where I think it's important to learn about your body. And yes. this is why I think when you're young, it's a great time to experiment these things. Absolutely. Use it. You don't really have much responsibilities. Right. You can stay up to one o'clock and, and experiment for a week and then do Absolutely. it for two weeks. But if yeah. you've got kids to look after, Whole much harder. Whole and you've got a job game. to go to, right. but it's like, this is a great time to experiment with your body and see what works for you. What chronotype are you? Yeah. I'm going to try the... Then oh, I forgot what I, I keep wanting to say. Napa, no, Napa espresso, but Napa, Napa latte. latte. Yeah, yeah, Napa latte. Um, because I think it's a, it's a great thing, and I've noticed that twenty five minutes is good for me. And I like mm -hmm. the key point you said there. You don't have to fall asleep, right? Just as long as you're like your eyes are shut, your brain's relaxing. Because we did this. Um, we did a hundred kilometer, which is sixty mile walk. 
okay. in one day. The goal, yeah, the goal is to do it in 24 hours. Wow. And so obviously the night before, and because we hopped up at like 3 a.m. So we were like, how do we get as much sleep as possible? Dude, you should have called me beforehand. I, I know. I you a whole strategy <laughs> for this. But I went to bed at like 6, 6 p.m., which is very tricky to do. Not easy at all. But I really, we spent a whole thing calming ourselves down. All the mm-hmm. lights were red in the house and we were like playing music yeah, yeah. and we like calmed down. And I managed to fall asleep by like 7.30, which was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I woke up at like 10 and you have this guilt of like, God, I want to be asleep. I want to be asleep. Right. That my, causes anxiety. Exactly. And then you can't sleep. Same exactly. thing happens when you wake up in the middle of the night and you look at the clock and it's 3 a.m. and you got to be up at 6. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Sleep. Nobody in the history of time has ever thought themselves to sleep. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, work yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. And, and my mom was just like, Byron, remember, so long as you're just there with your eyes closed in a quiet environment, your brain is resting. So there's actually science on it. There's now something that we call non-sleep deep rest. So this is where you're lying in what we call a quiescent state. So it's dark, not a lot of noise, right? And you're just relaxing. It's not as good as sleep, but an hour of that, it's worth about 20 minutes of sleep. Right. So what I tell people all the time is, look, if you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're like, shit, it's not going to happen for me, lie there and relax, and you're still going to get some level of rejuvenation. Mm. Even, yeah, even if you're not going to fall asleep. Yeah. Just by lying there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there you go. There's a, there's a bit about napping. <laughs> so I love that. The uh, Napa Latte. Um, we kind of covered this. So you, there's a question here that is, what is the optimal time to sleep? But it sounds like there is no optimal time. It's all based on your chronotype. Yeah. Right. And so once you go to chrono quiz and figure it out, you can actually play around with it. And it's got a little bit of give to it, maybe a half an hour to an hour on either side. But once you find it and you lock it in, bro, mm. everything gets easy. There's actually an optimal time for sex, optimal time for drinking coffee, optimal time for food intake. Yeah. Because it's all based on your hormones. And actually my third book called The Power of When, we it's not a sleep book. It's like a life book. So once you figure out your chronotype you can actually log in to anything that you want perfect time to talk to your kids perfect time to tell a story perfect time to tell a joke like it's insane yeah because i remember in in your ted talk you you had like a a spreadsheet sort of and it's like (laughs) if you're a wolf you have coffee at seven o'clock or whatever times and everything exactly so yeah definitely go check that out guys because i think that's super super valuable this one i i have very sensitive eyes Mm-hmm. Um, I have quite light eyes and yep. so like in the sun that hurts a lot I always carry sunglasses mm-hmm. um, and I find like especially because I'm I work at my computer most of the day right I, I get quite computer fried but then in bed I really use that blue light thing but I know oh, yeah. I don't know how strong the science is behind Let's the lights and stuff it. so yeah what, I know is a that lot a, about blue light is that true so, so here's what's interesting is the, your blue light sensitivity is based on those melanopsin cells I was talking about earlier. But here's what people don't really understand is it depends upon how much blue light you got earlier in the day okay. has an effect on if blue light is going to be affecting you at night. Um, I personally wear blue light blocking glasses. Um, they work great. <clears throat> now, I got to be fair. Some people now use the clear blue light blocking glasses. They don't do shit. That's what I've heard. Because the ones I have are like these ugly, bright shit. orange ones. Those are the ones that work. They don't look nice. <laughs> and I'm they like, don't look great. Like you look like, you know, the guy from X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Know? That's exactly what I have. They're like cycling glasses. Right. Like 20 bucks on Amazon. Right. And, they're, yeah. and they work. Like they actually work. What I do, for example, is I might bring those with me if I'm flying to Europe. Like let's say I was flying to do the podcast in Australia. I would actually bring with me my own sleep kit that would have blue light blocking glasses. I would also bring a light box because if you institute light or if you give yourself blue light, you can actually shift your circadian rhythm. Right. That's how I'm going to help you on your way home. I was about to say, so you're like (laughs) fixing your jet jet lag before you land. Absolutely. That's cheeky. That's very cheeky. awesome, bro. (laughs) And so, yeah, because I've also seen, I obviously 
I'm not very good at like science stuff, but based on the research I saw, I was like, pretty good to the me. clear ones, no one could back it up. They were like- You need three things. You need the color, you need the angle, um, and you need the, the coating. Yeah. Right, And so what ends up happening, the color has to do with brightness. So the coating is what they can put on any glass, which reduces the, the specific frequency, which is 460 to 490 nanometers of light. That's mm. blue light, and it hits that eye, and it kind of does all that funky stuff. You can coat any lens to do that, but the light will still be bright, mm. and that's where the amber part comes in. The angle has to do with you want something. So you mentioned you used cycling glasses. Those are perfect because they wrap all the way around. Yeah. What you don't want is exterior light coming in or coming up from beneath because that's where it messes you up. Right, yeah. So the cycling ones, again, they don't look very nice. Yeah. They're and 20 I, bucks. And I don't, I'd only wear them from like seven o'clock onwards when I, if I was right. working or something. But I found that really beneficial to me because I literally, if I blue light is in a computer or phone, I, might, I have like a small headache. Oh, well, here's one other thing that you may not know about is there's a free software called Flux. Oh, that's what I use. Yep. And I max it out. It's fantastic. I have it ma at the max. Yep. Yeah, and, Flux. And that's so where you like, want to do it. It's like bright orange. People yeah, always yeah. freak out. They're like, what's going on with your computer? <laughs> I'm like, nah, that's just me. But here's one thing. The things that are on the phone don't work. The Apple, like, it's bullshit. It's, it's really weak. It's bullshit. Like, I think there's actually a study that looked at it, and it does nothing for changing melatonin production. So you'd have to wear the glasses. But if right. you can get Flux on your computer you're good to go. Yeah. I mean, my recommendation is always just try to avoid being on your phone late at night anyway. For sure. Here's the biggest problem with being late on uh, at your phone is it's not necessarily the blue light that's giving you a hard time. It's the engagement. Yeah. It's keeping your brain awake because you're right. like, you're texting, you're Dude, watching TikTok. Dude, if you're TikTok looking about what, you know, if you're trying to get your high score on Candy Crush, yeah. you ain't trying to go to bed. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's keeping your brain awake. Right. And that's where like, that's where TikTok is really dangerous because TikTok is so like, it's unbelievable. Your brain does not stop. I have to set an alarm sometimes. Like I give myself like 20 minutes on TikTok because if I don't, I could be there oh. for an hour and a half. Oh my God. You'll, Easy. you lose 30 minutes. And I have nothing. my own TikTok videos teaching people about sleep. Yeah. It's yeah ridiculous. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I talk about this stuff as well and I'm like, this is hypocritical. Right. Um, how many hours should we sleep? You kind of already mentioned that. Um, so as a general guideline, somewhere between seven and nine seems to work. But if you can figure out your chronotype and layer it in, I'm a six to six and a half hour guy. Mm. I'm 55 years old. This is the level of energy I have every day. And so you, and you notice a huge difference when, when people massive. can nail this. Yeah. It's massive. If you can find your zone, it's kind of like your swim lane. Yeah. You know, if you can find your swim lane and keep, keep doing the breaststroke, you're going to be in good shape. Amazing. <laughs> um, the impacts of pressing snooze, you already mentioned the, uh, what's it called? The inertia. Yes, that sleep inertia. So, so by hitting it, snooze multiple it times. beats you up. Yeah. For sure. Because I, I saw something that's like one of the worst ways to wake up. Just going snooze, 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 it's snooze. It's awful. Because basically what you're doing is, it, here's the problem is the average snooze is between seven and nine minutes. Mm. You can't get into a deeper stage of sleep. And so all you do is give yourself light crappy sleep. It's mm. the worst. And you're just ricocheting between exactly. bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Um, never argue at 11 or run at dawn. So I tell people this all the time because here's the problem is you get emotionally involved. You get emotionally volatile. E even like you don't even want to like as an example, I have a, one of my patients is a very famous uh, electronic dance music guy. His name is Steve Aoki. Right. So he's like the stadium shows. He doesn't mm. go on until 11, you know, three. And, you know, one of the things we have to do is we have to figure out how to keep him calm after the show. Otherwise, he's up for three or four hours after the show because he's been out there bopping it around. Right. Mm. And so thinking through that, here's the one metric that people need to know is it's all about heart rate. If you can get your heart rate below 60, you can enter into a state of unconsciousness. So a lot of people are like, OK, that sounds easy, Michael. How do I do it? One of the easiest techniques you can use is something called four, seven, eight breathing. 
Oh, I heard this recently. It's super I, I cool. Saw, where did I hear it? TikTok. <laughs> Probably for me. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was you, it's, yeah. It's, it's my biggest TikTok. So you breathe in slowly for a count of four, you hold for a count of seven, and you push out for a count of eight. So the science behind it is kind of interesting. And so when you breathe, so first of all, most people are shallow breathers. They don't fully breathe in and mm. fully breathe out. So you end up with carbon dioxide weighs more than oxygen. So it sits in the bottom of your lung. And so if you breathe in deeply, you can really fill that lung. When you hold, you burn through the oxygen. And when you push out at a count of eight, you literally dump all that excess carbon dioxide. Right. So your heart doesn't have to work as much, mm. which slows down your heart rate. And it's once you get below a heart rate of 60, that's easier to get into a state of unconsciousness. And so you're saying anyone who struggles to go to sleep, how many times do you recommend it? I do seven to eight cycles, um, yeah. but I actually have people using it in the middle of the night as well. Right. So let's say you wake up at two o'clock in the morning, you look at the clock. Oh shit, what am I supposed to do? Mm. Number one, if you don't have to pee, don't pee. Now I want to be clear. If you got to go, go to the bathroom. But here's what happens. You go from a lying position to a seated position to a standing position. You walk across your room. Guess what? You just jacked your heart rate up. Yep. Turn the light on. Bang. Right. You're done. Yeah. Definite. So strategically place nightlights along the way for you, like one in the can and one on the way. Yeah. Right. And then when you get back to bed, again, if you had to pee, it's four, seven, eight breathing and just chillax and remember that um non-sleep deep rest mm. right so don't get anxious about it say you know what i heard that sleep doctor guy and he said i'm gonna do that four seven eight breathing for five to seven cycles and i'm just gonna chill here and what that does is it lowers that anxiety lowers that heart rate allows the natural sleep process to take right over i think it's really good because it gives you something to focus on as well exactly because like people we, I remember we were at this event and these two girls were talking to us and they're just like, yeah, man, whenever I go to bed, I literally lay in bed for, the, for an hour and just overthink everything I did that day. Yes. And she's just- and Bad was, idea. And she was like, I think about everything I said wrong. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds awful. And she's like, it is. <laughs> and I'm like, why do you do that? And she's like, I just can't help it. And so- This the, helps you not yeah, think about those Because it gives you something, okay, one, two, three, four, and Maybe. out. Right. So, so it's in. Oh, sorry, in. Sorry, so in. It's in. Yeah, yeah. One, two, two three, three, four. Hold. Two, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Out. Two, three, yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight. So you have to have more out because you want to dump all that excess carbon yeah. dioxide. Yeah. And so that, again, it's almost meditative in a way. You it can is. use that to focus on. So there's a little hack. Lots of hacks. Those are. The coffee hack, this, this <laughs> hack. And I love how practical it is. I love, I, something I really like about you, you take these ideas, which are, for most people, incredibly complex, right. simplify them and say, all right, here's what to do. And I make them actionable. Exactly, actionable, which is why I love doing. You know, I hate, that was one of my other issues with school is like you learn all these things and you never implement them. It's hard. Well, and it's hard. It's like, who cares about the history of blah, blah, blah? Like, how is that going to help me? This shit helps. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> right. Um, you mentioned the best time. Oh, no, you didn't. What was the best time to drink coffee or does it depend on your chronotype? So a little bit on your chronotype, but I can give you some general guidelines. So here's what's interesting. What do you think we shouldn't drink coffee if you can avoid it? Okay. So if, if there was a universe where I could actually get people to not drink coffee, that would be amazing. But mm. let's be fair, bro. Never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's the number one abused drug in the world, more so than anything else, right? But here's a couple things to know. In order for your brain to get out of a state of unconsciousness, you need two hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, and they pop and they bring you out. Mm. If you compare the strength of adrenaline and cortisol to caffeine, it's like comparing cocaine to weak tea. Yeah, yeah. Okay? <laughs> so people tell me all the time, they're like, I can't wake up unless I have my cup of coffee coffee. Bullshit. Here's what I'm telling you. Number one, you're probably waking up at the wrong time or you're probably sleep deprived. What you need to do is hydrate, not 
caffeinate yes. when you wake up. Most people don't know this, but sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. You lose almost a full liter of water just from the humidity in your breath. A liter. A liter. <sighs> right? So think about it. You're drinking the night before, yeah, which yeah. definitely kills, kills your hydration. Then sleep takes another liter out. You wake up and you drink coffee, which is a diuretic and makes you, you might as well be a raisin by the time yeah, all, yeah. it's all said Still and coming done. Out of you. So wait 90 minutes, hydrate. I say anywhere from 16 to 18 ounces of water. So one of the things I help tell people, as soon as you wake up, I tell them to do the three 15s, 15 deep breaths, 15 ounces of water, 15 minutes of sunlight. Mm. Sunlight turns off that melatonin faucet in your head. You've now hydrated. You've woken up and become present. That's what the breathing does. And you have a great, great morning. If you wait 90 minutes for your first caffeine, here's what happens. The adrenaline and cortisol finally start to drop at around 90 minutes. And so when you drink caffeine, it actually boosts them up. It will change your existence. Everybody mm. I get to just wait 90 minutes after they open their eyes to have their first cup of coffee, they usually only need one which is kind of nice, um, and it works like a charm. Yeah, and it's something I've been doing. And I find it easy because I go to the gym in the morning, mm -hmm. and so it's like once I've done my routine and I'm yep. back, I'm starting my day, it's been about two hours anyway. Perfect. And so like I don't need coffee to go to the gym. No. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's super important. And so you're not, you're not saying it doesn't really matter what time you wake up so long as you wait 90 minutes before the coffee. Exactly. And, or replace the coffee with water. Absolutely. And then the other thing is, is when do you stop? So people always want to know, like, when's the last time I can have my caffeine? Mm. So number one, I hope that you only needed one in the morning. But again, I'm not so foolish as to think that that's how people are going to really do it. Yeah. You really want to think about stopping around 2 p.m. And here's why. Caffeine is a half-life, depending upon how quick of a metabolizer you are, somewhere between six and eight hours. So if you stop at two, eight hours later is 10, which is kind of when most people yeah. are starting to think about going to bed. But half of the caffeine is still wandering around your brain. So for my insomnia, I'm like, bro, back it up. Like, mm. see if you can only have one cup, you know, somewhere around nine, 10 o'clock and then be decaf for the rest of the day. I mean, my perspective is if you can't, if it's that hard to quit, that's an addiction. You got a problem. And it's like, there's something wrong there. <laughs> it's like, I drink coffee, but if someone said you don't, you can't have coffee for a week, that doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, I, I don't drink coffee every day. Um, it's one of those things where like I got it today cause I was cold outside yeah, and yeah. If you, as you can see, I think I've had like four sips. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You've had like that. <laughs> also American coffee, enormous. I know it's ridiculous. Like, like I, I don't even understand why we get these monster coffees. This is a, like a smaller regular. This is a short in America. Yeah. Like this yeah. is all I want. It's crazy. Like he got me a large, which I never would have ordered myself, but like, to be clear, we'll get the camera on it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've literally only brought it down by an inch. Yeah. Yeah. It's down like a tiny bit. Um, look, this has been so good. Oh, such a fascinating episode. I got a few more questions and I'll go into my, away, my final question, which is not to do with sleep, but you can make it whatever you like sure. of it. Um, have you heard of this eight minute military nap? I have. Where they put their legs up? I have. Is it, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's bullshit. Really? Yeah. So at the, at the end of the day, if you're in the military, number one, you're in a very different situation mm. than 90% of the people out there. What I can tell you is, is that what, what that technique does is it lowers your heart rate very, very quickly and you're already probably so damn tired mm. that boom, you can fall asleep. Now, what the data about eight minutes is, is kind of interesting. That comes from NASA. And what we learned is a seven to eight minute nap will give you enough level of alertness to change your perception. So that's why they use it in the military settings. But as a general guideline, it, it's really not going to probably be as effective as you want it to be. Yeah, because you see a video of, it, video of it. And of course, as humans, we see, oh, only eight minutes, bang, I can save time. And you go, I want to do that. Right. But you're saying in the normal day environment, it's not that practical. It's really not that. 25 minutes or yeah. less. And if you really want to get a big bang, try the Napa Latte. Yeah, totally. Don't do it every day, yeah. but try the Napa Latte. You'll find it works pretty well. Interesting. And um, 
we got here, kind of the final question before we get into the last one. Mm-hmm. Eight hours of sleep in the modern day. So let's say, I don't know, 11 o'clock until whenever, six or seven. Yep. Um, versus like primal sleep, as in following the sun. What are your thoughts on that? Because obviously, you know, we used to just go to sleep when the sun went down. Yep. So when we were back in the day, when we were an agrarian society, like a farming society, right? Mm. Here's what you would do is you would go to sleep right after the sun went down because you had to get up when the sun came up. Believe it or not, in the middle of the night, people would wake up in the middle of the night, have another meal. Sometimes. Really? Oh, yeah. There was, there, we, we used to call it the second sleep. Right then, the industrial revolution. This asshole Thomas Edison invented yeah. the light bulb and screwed it all up for all of us. So now everybody's compacted sleep. When you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, what's happened is is our bodies have now adapted to this. So the idea of the primal sleep is probably no longer uh, a good idea. However, there was one study that kind of throws that into the woods, which was interesting. And I use into the woods because they took a bunch of insomniacs camping, mm. and they said no clocks. Go to bed at you know when the sun goes down. Wake up when the sun comes up. None of them had insomnia by the time they left. Right, that does throw a bit of a spanner, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> so it's interesting to kind of see. I, I would argue that you need to learn about your body, mm. right? Like I really liked when you said, you know, look at you. Like, there's a lot of people out there who are saying and doing a lot of different stuff, right? Who cares? You need to worry about you and what your body is telling you. And when your body tells you it's tired, it's because you're either not getting the quantity or the quality of sleep if it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And if, you're, if you spent all of your 20s figuring out your sleep, your nutrition, what oh, works for you. Are you kidding like, me? You're going to crush exactly. it. Exactly. But we have the perception, you know, 30, oh my God, life's starting to get, right. you know, that's, that's how it feels when you're like 21 of or course. 18 or anything. But Absolutely. it's like, my God, if you can get that sorted, surround yourself with some friends, figure out your sleep cycle, your, what, what, what food works for you, your diets, yes. all that sort of thing. Like, oh my gosh, that, the value the, of that is What I tell people infinite. all the time, especially young people who are like, oh my God, 30, that's so old. If you want it to feel old, don't eat well, yeah. don't sleep well, and, and you know, stay in a dark room by yourself and not have any friends. And I can assure you, your 30s are going to suck. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that's kind of like where my program comes in. And that's why I try exactly. to give them good quality people and teach them kind of that stuff. But look, this has been an incredible episode. And thank you so much for coming all the way out here. Sure, no you know, problem. This has been amazing. Um, my final question, which I ask every guest. Okay. It has nothing to do with sleep unless you want to make it. We'll see. It's just what advice would you give to an 18-year-old today? Or like, I mean, your daughter's 19. What advice would you give to someone of that age group? So it'll probably be a piece of sleep advice uh, because that's kind of where I'm at with it. But wake up at the same time seven days a week. Okay. Like people ask me like, Michael, if there's just one thing that you could do, honestly, seven days a week, Saturday, Sunday, wake up at the same time. It will serve you so so well amazing Um, and and the other big thing is hydrate Um, a lot of people really don't think especially when you're young you don't think about hydration but hydration turns out to be such an important factor for almost your entire body yeah and again if you can't commit to seven days it's like come on it's not that difficult it's really not hard yeah and once you do it in for about a 21 day stretch your body gets used to it and it'll start to happen like it does with you naturally yeah and so I, i mean that's a good one give it a month yeah Give it a month. Days. Yeah. And figure out, you go do the test, which we'll put in the links and everything. Um, but Dr. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. You know, such a, such a privilege to have you on. I know you're a busy man. You've got lots happening. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll see lots of clips on TikTok and whatever. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, very grateful to have you on. And um, yeah, if people want to find you, for, find out more, read your books, yep. what would, what, so where's the best um, place to go? Super easy to find on the internet. My website is thesleepdoctor.com. Same in the YouTube, same with TikTok, same with Facebook, <laughs> Google, same with Twitter, yep. like the whole thing. That's where you're going to find. And we put 
put different types of content on different ones. So, you know, if you get a chance, you know, subscribe to a bunch of them because you'll get to learn a whole lot of different things about sleep. And I think you've got four books now, is it? I've got uh, four books now, working on a fifth. Four books. So there's lots of content out there. There is. Um, but make sure you go to the quiz. I think the quiz is the that low-hanging fruit. It is. And then I think the TED Talk as well because that really, yeah. that covers it in like 15 minutes. Easy. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Sweet dreams. Yep. <laughs> I love it.